Do you ever wonder what happened to your friends from high school? I mean, you were so close. You laughed together, you cried together, you shared some of the best years of your lives together. And yet, somehow through life, you just lost touch. Now it's time to relive those moments once again. Introducing the podcast that takes you back in time to the place where it all began. This is Class Reunion. We're bringing you all the gossip, secrets, and scandals from your high school days that you won't want to miss. Join us as we catch up with old classmates and dive into the wildest stories from our high school days. From those legendary parties to the infamous cliques, we're spilling all the tea on who's who and what really went down. So grab a seat, turn your volume up, and get ready for a trip down memory lane. Class Reunion, the podcast that reunites us all. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Class Reunion. I have with me today Dean Jusky, and he is someone that I met through a friend, and I am looking forward to the conversation that we are about to embark upon. But for the sake of getting to know Dean and know that he's part of our Gen X community, I just wanted him to share a little bit about where he's from when he went to college and, and meeting his wife in just those entry parts from his Chicago lifestyle. So Dean, Welcome to Class Reunion. I so appreciate you being on. Oh, thank you, Leanne. Well, I, I appreciate you having me on. I uh, look forward to our conversation. Yeah, my name is Dean Jeske. I live in Glen Ellen, Illinois, which is a <laughs> western suburb of Chicago. I am not originally from the Chicago area. However, I grew up just west of here, an area called the Quad Cities, which is on the El Illinois-Iowa border. Oh. It's, Im it's important that you know that I did grow up on the Illinois side. Uh, on the <laughs> Iowa side. That's important to me. Is this football, football we're talking about or? Well, football, just, just, just I, the yeah, whole border. I, yeah. Yeah. yeah, it's, yeah. It's, it's, I'd rather be from the Illinois side. Let's leave it at that. I don't want to offend any of your listeners who might, who might be from the state of Iowa. So went to high school there, went to, to uh, the University of Illinois for yeah. seven years. I got my undergraduate degree there. I attended law school there. That's also where I met my beautiful wife. Her name is Indra. And oh, that's beautiful. Yeah, she is. Uh, she is of Lithuanian descent. Um, so oh. in other words, my my her parents were first generation immigrants from Lithuania. So okay. my, we have three boys. Our, all three of our boys learned how to speak Lithuanian when they were growing up. And so my my oh. wife and my three boys were able to make fun of dad in Lithuanian right. without me knowing about it. So um, although like I, that. I did over time pick up some words and phrases here. So I eventually could could figure out what if, if they were poking fun at me. But we have been married for 32 years as of this past Thanksgiving. Our anniversary was actually on Thanksgiving Day. Nice. This year. So just another reason to give thanks. And like I said, we have three boys. My oldest son is 29. <laughs> Middle son, who just got engaged recently, is 28. And my youngest son, who we're going to talk about more, is, yes. well, I'll describe him as forever 22. Yes. Oh. That's a beautiful way to, way to say that. Yes. yes. I love the language skill that you had all the kids because I think that's so important just for not only their heritage, but I, I just think bringing another language into a family when they're young like that is such a great expansion to somebody's own intelligence, right? Was that a difficult language for them to pick up? I don't know anybody who... Well, you know what's language. interesting about it? When, when, you, when it's spoken to you since you're born... It's yeah. not, it's, they're learning it in the same way they're learning English, right? Yes. Just in, when they were growing up, the, the, the Lithuanian word for shoe is batas. Okay. So they just, like those things that you put on your feet were shoes or they were batas. They just, yeah. they, and, and I think right. when they were really young, 
they didn't know they were learning two languages. They just thought right. they were sort of two words for everything. And they eventually realized that they were speaking this language that their little friends didn't know how to speak, which right. by the way was, was fun for them as well. They could say things about their friends without them knowing what they were talking about. But <laughs> I will tell you, there was a point where they probably would have been considered fluent. I don't think they probably would be considered fluent anymore. But yeah. if they if they went to Lithuania, which they have a couple of times, oh, um, neat. They, they can they can definitely make their way around and, and know enough to like to have real conversations with the native Lithuanians. So. Right. Oh, that's very cool. Yeah. I, yeah. I haven't I've mastered the English language very yes. well. So it's I, nice to... we're all still working on English. <laughs> right. So. Yeah. <laughs> so so you're raising these three boys. And as parents, we all have certain subjects, right? We have sex education, we have drugs and alcohol. I heard an interesting thing one time, and I only have one child, so I, I would love to get your input, that each child is raised by a different parent because the firstborn, you know, you're new parents and you're learning boundaries that you now want to formulate and have your whole family dynamic under. Then you get a second child, totally different. You have to adapt to time and environmental changes. And then you have a third one. So you think you've licked it, right? And you know how to do this, but life changes for sure. all three of those. And when sure. they're born, the world changes. So when did you share with me like the difference you started to catch on in raising each of the boys that the subject of whether it was sex education or drugs and alcohol had to change? Because I would think that it, it, it indeed needed to. Yeah, to some well, degree. I, so I, I think it changes. Uh, you're right. It changes both because you're changing as a person and right. When you're talking with your, you know, when we talked with our middle son, we had the experiences of our of our oldest son and we had sort of lived <laughs> through that. And, you know, I, I, I think it's fair to say that we were probably a little more lax with our oldest son. Mm -hmm. um, and but then, you know, then you you realize, oh, he's you know, he's a senior in high school and he's been out drinking with some friends. And so we need right. to have a, a more rigorous conversation now. And then you, you know, you do that earlier on with your your middle one, and then even maybe a little bit earlier with your youngest one. So there's so there's your own experience that changes, but but then you're yep. right, you know, the world sort of changes around you, which which is something um, unfortunately we learned, you know, kind of the hard way with with our youngest son, and and I know we'll get to that. But yeah, the, the conversation does evolve, and unfortunately the, the conversation that parents need to be having with their children today is very, very different than the conversations we had with our kids or that, that parents were having with kids even five or 10 years ago. And so we'll, yeah. we'll get to that. Because Dean, when we first were introduced to each other over the phone, we were relating to our generation, right? Which was not that there weren't things happening on a heavy drug level, but you know, it was, we used words like pot or marijuana or, or yeah. you know, pretty basic stuff. You go into a concert and, yeah. and things like that. And so knowing how that can progress with your kids is a whole nother ball game. You yeah. know, you can't it, rely on how I, we were raised. Yeah. It's, it's, a, it's a very different landscape, uh, particularly in the last, I would say, you know, five to eight, nine years. And so that the conversations that parents or guardians or even grandparents or aunts and uncles need to be having with young people today is, is, is much, much different than, than the conversations that I was having with my boys, you know, 15-ish mm -hmm. years ago or more. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. certainly different than the conversations. I'll be honest with you. I didn't really have conversations like this when, when I was in high school or college with my parents. It just didn't come up. Um, so no. 
we just no. kind of did what we did and and either they found out about it or they didn't most of the time right. they didn't so right so we're going to talk about peter and and he went to college so tell me about his high school accolades sure. and in sure. in the type sure. of this, student this, he was and this this part's easy to talk your about. favorite I, part I, yeah. I love talking <laughs> about peter peter is my youngest son peter was just an amazing amazing young man really really smart uh, good athlete. You know, he was a captain on the football team in high school. He was a starter on the varsity basketball team, you know, graduated as an Illinois State Scholar, National Honor Society, that sort of thing. Those are sort of the things he accomplished. Um, mm-hmm. You know, there, there were a whole bunch of things about him that I, I really loved. A, a couple that that stand out to me were, were that he was incredibly funny. He, he had an amazing, amazing sense of humor and almost every day he would say something that would make me laugh out loud. He was just, and it was, it was a very clever, smart kind of humor. Like he had just a, a really interesting take on the world and he liked to mm-hmm. sort of observe things that the rest of us might not see. And then secondly, he was just a really incredibly kind-hearted young man. He was, you know, he was the kid in, in, in high school who, who could have been a little bit full of himself. I mean, he was a captain on the football team and he played basketball and he was a good looking young man. And he, he always made room for everybody. Like he, his friend group, an amazing group of high school friends, but they were, you know, they weren't all athletes. Um, some of them were, you know, in in the choir or on, mm-hmm. in band or in theater, and and he liked that. And he was the one that if two of his friends, you know, were 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 not getting along or were arguing with each other, Peter would be the one who would sort of act as the mediator and, and bring them back together because that's that's what he really loved in the world. Like he loved being with his friends. So he he graduated from high school in uh, 2017. He attended Indiana University in Bloomington, Indiana, which he was really excited about. He was in the Kelly School of Business, which is a top oh, 10, top 10 yeah. undergraduate business school in the country. No um, kidding. Yeah, he, he did very well in, in high school. He did very well on his on his ACT scores and was a direct admit into the Kelly School of Business, which he was very excited about. Um, it was a bit of a bone of contention for me. I Like I told you earlier, I went to the University of Illinois and grew up hating Indiana University, but... <laughs> I was now writing checks to them. So, but we, you know, we had fun with it. And he even, he even eventually got me to wear an Indiana Hoosier shirt at one point. Oh, that's which, a huge accomplishment. Yeah. And, and, and like, wasn't your color scheme, but you did. Well, it. and it's just, it, I thought it was going to burn my flesh just putting it on, <laughs> but I, I managed to survive in any event. And Dean, he, I keep telling you, you have half of my Michigan friends. We, there was a, a an exodus from Michigan that went to Chicago to live, yes. but then a lot of their kids, um, um, from that were still in Michigan that graduated, their kids went to Indiana. So oh, yeah, you it have really got, it, it was it's 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 a good. You have a, a lot school. of the mitten over there. Yes, yeah. yes, exactly. And and Peter loved it there. By the way, he joined yeah. he joined a fraternity, made another amazing group of friends. You know, in his fraternity, studied abroad in Rome his junior year. Oh, um, that I didn't know. Although That's cool. although that I that got cut cut short because. Rome became the epicenter of the COVID uh, epidemic. So um, he only got about half of that semester and then had to come back. And and then, you know, flash forward to his his senior year in college, he was Mm -hmm. um, in his second semester and about six weeks from graduation. He had accepted a job at a good company in Colorado and Denver. Um, so he was really excited about that. And mm-hmm. that's sort of a point of stress for young people these days when they're getting close to graduation, you know, finding that job. And and Peter, you know, Peter had been sort of 
stressing out a little bit about that, but then, you know, had, had secured this position and was really excited about it. In any event, on the evening of April 5th of mm-hmm. 2021, Peter was in his apartment with his roommate. His roommate came in and said, hey, Pete, I'm, I'm going over to some buddy's apartment. Um, that night was the NCAA Men's National Basketball Championship game. And Peter was a huge basketball fan. We're kind of a basketball family. All my boys played basketball. And so we love college basketball. And he said, hey, do you want to come with me? And Pete said, you know what? I've got a couple of exams later this week. I should probably stay home and study. And so his roommate said, cool, took off, um, went to their friend's apartment. The roommate came back um, about midnight that night um, and noticed that Peter's door was closed, which he didn't wasn't surprised by. Just assumed Peter had gone to bed. Woke up the next morning about eight o'clock, saw that Peter's door was still closed. And again, didn't think much of it. You know, Peter assumed Peter didn't have a class that morning. Um, So he went off to his class, went and played a round of golf with a buddy, got back at about uh, five o'clock on the evening of April 6th and saw that Peter's door was still closed. And at that point he realized, you know, I I haven't really seen or, or talked to Peter you know, for almost a day now. So he knocked on the door, nobody answered. He knocked again, no answer. And then he opened the door and went into Peter's bedroom and he found uh, Peter lying on his bed and, and he was gone. Peter had passed away. And so um, later that night, so this is now the evening of Ugh, April 6th. Hang out uh, a sec. <laughs> Shoot. Yeah. I know we have a lot more to cover. Look. Yeah. Um, yeah, this is this is this is the hard part. So, um, I, like I, I tell people all the time, I I love talking about how Peter lived, but it's it's a it's a challenge to talk about yeah. how he how he left us. But important, let me just say that this story about Peter represents many people. Yeah, so we're, we're gonna we're gonna get to that. Yeah, yeah we're gonna mm-hmm. there, there's a reason that we're we're sharing this story with with all of your listeners. Yeah. It's, really, really, really important that they hear about this and that they talk with the young people in their lives about this and share Peter's story. So that night um, I was home at our home in Glen Ellen. My wife had gone to dinner with some friends and about nine o'clock at night, there was a knock on the door, which was unusual. Mm -hmm. I answered the door and there was an Illinois state trooper standing in our doorway, which as you can imagine, took me aback a bit. And he said, sir, I'm sorry to bother you, but do you have a daughter that attends Indiana University? And I said, no, but I do have a son that attends Indiana University. At which point he said, oh, I'm sorry. Can you, can you hold on a minute? And he turned around and he walked down our driveway, walked across the street and he got in his squad car. I stood in the doorway of our home and my heart was now pounding. I didn't know what was going on, but it Certainly didn't seem like a good thing when an Illinois state trooper is knocking on your door at nine o'clock on a Tuesday night. He was in his car for probably two or three minutes. It felt like about an hour to me. He got out of his car, he walked up our driveway, he walked up our sidewalk and up to me in the doorway. And he said that thing to me that no parent ever wants to hear. Sir, I'm very sorry to inform you, but your, your son has been found dead in his apartment down in Bloomington, Indiana. And that began the worst night of my life, the worst weeks of my life, the worst two and about two and a half years of my life. We didn't really have a lot of information beyond that. Um, I realized pretty quickly that I I had to call my wife and get her home and try to get her home safely. Um, So I called her on her cell phone. Um, I told her she needed to come home right away. Something had happened to Peter. 
she, as you can imagine, got very frantic and asked me what had happened. And I said, just please come home. I, something's happened. You need to come home. She came home. I, I told her what I knew at that point that Peter was gone. Um, and as you can imagine, she, you know, she, it was, she was completely devastated and started screaming and crying and fell to the ground. And we then had to call my two older boys who both were living uh, in the, in Chicago, downtown Chicago. They came out that night and, you know, we, we all just, you know, we, we were all obviously just, just devastated, but we, we, we kept thinking like, what, how could this be? How could this have happened? No information. Yeah. Like no information. Uh, All the, all the trooper knew was he gave us the number of, a doctor in a hospital, I believe. And, you know, we called the number and we, you know, we get sort of passed around and no real information, you know, but our, we, you know, we thought to ourselves, like we, we had this beautiful, healthy, athletic son. How could, how could he be dead? Right. You know, and, and all sorts of crazy things start to run through your mind. We actually didn't know exactly what had happened to Peter for about six weeks. Because oh, Dean, I did not know that. Well, that that's how long it takes to get autopsy results in Monroe County, Indiana. And so we received the autopsy results and um, read them, learned, and you know, based on what it said in this autopsy report, that that Peter had died of an accidental overdose of fentanyl. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was the first time I had ever heard of fentanyl. I didn't know what it was. I didn't. I didn't understand how it would have gotten into his system. And then I spent about close to an hour uh, on the phone with the coroner in Monroe County, Indiana. And she started to explain to me what was happening, not just Mm -hmm. with Peter, but what was happening in Monroe County, Indiana, what was happening throughout the country, that young people were dying because they were taking what they believed to be real legitimate prescription pills, Mm -hmm. but that were actually fake pills manufactured by drug dealers and drug cartels uh, to look like the real thing. So think Percocet, Xanax, Adderall, Oxycontin, they they were they were buying these pills typically through social media sites and taking them thinking i'm just taking a xanax or i'm just taking an adderall and really those pills that they're taking have absolutely nothing to do with the real legitimate prescription medications they're fakes the only thing they share in common with those real legit prescription pills is that they're made to look almost identical to them but they're made with this drug called fentanyl which is an incredibly powerful, an incredibly deadly synthetic opioid that is that has just completely infiltrated the entire drug landscape, but in particular, you know, these fake prescription pills. And young people are dying by the thousands. And, you know, I, I mentioned when I was talking about reading Peter's autopsy report that, you know, it it described his death, his death as an overdose. Um, that's not really what actually happened to Peter, and it's not what's happening to these other young people. They're not—they're not overdosing. They're—they're they're being poisoned. They're yes. being lied to by by drug dealers who are telling them, "Yeah, this is just an Adderall, or this is just a Xanax." And you know, how bad could it be to take one Xanax or one Percocet? The reality is, in today's world, one time can end your life, and that's that's what had happened to Peter. So a great place to pause because I, I I purposely asked about the difference of the three boys for that reason where you and I actually had talked offline. The culture that Peter's classmates were in was one where 
pills are part of a normal conversation. People taking Adderall legitimately exists. People taking Xanax legitimately exists. So the conversation of those pills is more their norm than probably your eldest, right? So they all seem to know somebody that's on medication. And and again, we are not in judgment of that piece of it. It's just, that's the, also the culture. So that exchange of conversation, Hey, do you want an Adderall? One of my Adderalls is much more common. It's not a direct intent. Oh, of course not. No, no, no. Right. I just wanted, that's why I was really wanted to set up the, like, this is a conversation that's different because the kids nowadays are so used to that prescription pill world and the caution behind it needs to be exposed tremendously because it is just what they're used to. It's important to talk about it as a poisoning because you're right, This, this, the younger generation, and frankly, it, it probably even included my oldest son, you know, the, the, this issue of kids, of, of, of the taking and sharing of mm-hmm. prescription pills has been normalized uh, with, mm-hmm. with those younger generations. And I want to be super clear, like, it's not their fault. This is not their right. fault. If anything, it's it's our fault or the generation below us. We've developed into a culture where, you know, one of the solutions that people have for various problems completely legitimately is is taking a pill. But you're right. They The young people today, they know somebody, they maybe have a cousin or a neighbor that takes Xanax, totally legitimate and is taking legitimate, you know, pharmaceutical grade Xanax. And it, and it probably is helping them, but they don't think about pills the same way they think about what I always just, you know, what I describe as the quote unquote, scary drugs, mm-hmm. heroin, cocaine, mm-hmm. methamphetamine, you know, th- those to me, when my boys were in high school, those were the scary drugs to me. And, mm-hmm. and so we talked about those things to the extent you talked about your, you talked about pills to your kids. And to the extent that most schools today in their drug education programs talk about pills, they talk about them in the sense of getting addicted to opioids. And that's still an important conversation that needs to be had, but there needs to be this new issue layered into that discussion that we're having with young people about the risks of recreational drugs. You know, that that discussion used to, to, to use sort of a metaphor, it used to be a journey. So you might you might talk to kids about, well, you know, drinking leads to smoking pot, which may lead to something more serious. And then eventually you might end up, you know, snorting cocaine or right, the heroin. gateway drugs. But, but, gateway, but it's, yeah. it's it's a journey that's going to happen over a period of years. And there's going to be hopefully a number of places along that journey where either on your own or with help from others, you can step off that path. Mm-hmm. That's not the world these young people are in today. They're, they're, they're walking through a minefield now mm-hmm. and where the first step you take on that journey can be the one that ends your life. And that's different. That's a different world than it was 10 years ago. Mm-hmm. 10 years ago, if, if you got a, an Adderall or a Xanax from a drug dealer, it was probably really a Xanax or an Adderall. It's not today. All the pills that are out there that are available illegally are fake. They're all fake. I don't mean most of them are fake. I'm telling you, they're all fake. They're all made of fentanyl. And the only question that's left is, does it have enough fentanyl in it to kill you? You know, after after having this, this conversation with the coroner in Monroe County, Indiana, and hearing what she was telling me, and, and I, I, you know, I thought to myself, 
how can this be? How can I, how can I not have heard of this? Mm-hmm. And so I, I, you know, I told you up front, I'm, I'm a lawyer by background. And so I did what lawyers do. And I just, I just dug into it. And I, I was like, I, I have to figure this out. And so I started doing research. I was online. And what I, what I saw was, you know, there was information out there about this issue of fake pills made with fentanyl. But it became clear to me, first of all, that there wasn't enough discussion about it. But more importantly, even the, the information was out there, it, it wasn't getting to the young people directly. You know, you know, I might find an article in a local newspaper, or I might find a story mm-hmm. on the 10 o'clock news, or I might see an episode of the, the Today Show um, about this topic. Well, 15, 16, 17, 18 year old kids aren't reading the newspaper. They're not watching the Today Show. They're not watching the 10 o'clock news. And so none of this information is getting to them. And that's when it, it, it hit me that I needed, I needed to go where these young people were and I needed mm-hmm. to talk with them about this because, well, for a couple of reasons. Number one, it's because I, I, I knew it was what Peter would want me to do. Mm-hmm. Peter would want me to help save, hopefully help save another life. Mm-hmm. And and to help spare another family from from going through the devastation that my my family has been and continues to go through, having lost Peter and and so- Dean, I, I did an experiment before you and I scheduled this call, and I asked my friends, yeah, and that exact so from this moment on, I want everyone to listen, but I really the reason why I wanted this sort of around the holidays is whether you have children coming home from college or high school or this break is very important to have this conversation together. If you have neighbors, if you know of anyone in this age group, the time is to share this information while you're together and have an openness, honest conversation. Because I asked, oh, have you heard about these pills that are laced with with fentanyl? Oh yeah, I heard that on the Today Show. Oh yes, they were talking about it on CNN or whatever. And I said, okay, you're hearing, but do you think kids know about it? And when you brought that up, I was like, this is so important because you are really focusing on these kids who are on Snapchat. They're buying off of Snapchat. They're, and it's not to go against social media. It's, it's, it's just that that is where everyone's getting their information. And who is saying anything like that online there? That's where they're buying it. Yeah. The thing that, you know, so I, 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 that, that started me on a journey of talking to yes. young people. So you're on, um, you're on this mission and yeah, I, I want you and, to, to And to so I've been talking to primarily high school age kids for the last mm-hmm. two-ish years, but I also talk to parents. And, you know, when I talk to parents, you know, I, I, I tell them like, look, Peter, Peter didn't have a history of drug abuse mm-hmm. or addiction mm-hmm. issues. And honestly, most of the kids that I know about, because I'm, of this community now and you know i i've connected with a a lot of families who are going through what my family is going through and invariably these are really good kids Uh, they're just smart and they're from great families and i don't say that in any way to suggest that the tragedy that peter suffered is any more or less important than any other tragedy I, i say that because it's important for parents to know this really can happen to anybody and it can happen to your kid. When I talk to young people, I say to them, look, my guess is that nobody in the audience here is a heroin user and nobody in the audience here snorts cocaine. But there's a chance that one of you next year when you're a freshman in college and you're a little stressed out about finals and and a a kid from down the hall comes in your room and says, hey, you look stressed out. I got a Xanax if you want one. 
you might take that because again, these young people today, and again, it's not their fault. They didn't, they didn't cause this problem, but, but they need to know about it. They might say like, oh, you know what? It's just one pill. What's the worst thing that could happen? And again, they're familiar with Xanax. They're familiar with Adderall. They're familiar with Percocet. So they, they just, they don't view it the same way as they view this, what, again, what I refer to as the scary drugs. Right. The, the, un, the incredibly unfortunate irony is that fentanyl is responsible for more deaths for people between the ages of 14 and 24 than heroin, cocaine, and methamphetamine combined. And it's not even all that close. There's been an enormous spike in, again, overdose deaths that are fentanyl related in the last five years. I think it's up about 350% or more for kids between the ages of 14 and 18. Now, not all of those are kids who died because they took a, a fake prescription pill, but the overwhelming majority of them are, are that. And so that's what I focus on in my discussions with young people are these fake pills, because that's where I think they're most get most at risk. I think you know, dr drug use overall over the last 20 years has been dropping, which is a good thing. Mm -hmm. um, but but the number of young people who are dying has been spiking, which seems counterintuitive. You know, there's fewer of them using drugs, but there's way, way more of them dying. And the explanation is fentanyl and these fake pills because it's so deadly that, the, you know, the first time a kid who's just experimenting that first time as a 16 year old or a 17 year old sitting in his sitting in their bedroom by themselves. They take that one pill and it can cost them their life. So we've discussed, discussed the problem, but there's also something very cool that you discovered through going to the high schools and, and talking to the kids is that they do care about one another. Yes. And, you know, we can even talk about the group that came to the lake to celebrate your son just, you know, on, on, their, on their own in the summer. It's a group that's very connected from an emotional taking care of one another. Yeah. And why that's important is to hear this message that you share in the high school. If one person stops and says, wait a minute, let me look at that. Or wait a minute. Like that is a success story that they are looking out for one another and now realizing it's not as innocent as it seems and to stop. Yeah. And it, and, and look at it and look out for one another. So when I, you know, I, I, I've probably in the last two years, I've probably talked to somewhere in the range of five to 6,000 high school age kids about mm -hmm. this issue and told them Peter's story, told them about fentanyl, told them about these fake pills. What I found is one of the things that really resonates with them is this, this is about you, but, but it's also about protecting your friends. Mm -hmm. Young people today, they they really they really look out for each other. Not that we didn't at our age as well, but but they really they really care about each other. And so when I get to the end of my my presentation uh, to these high school kids, I said, "Look, I I've got a couple asks of you, but the the big one is I want you to become my advocates and my allies. I want you to become Peter's allies in this. Yes. Um, every now and then I'll say, you know." Let's let's start Peter's posse and, and you can all go out and spread the word. Talk to your friends about this. You know, I yeah. when I go into a school, I, I typically get, you know, I don't get the entire school. I get the senior class or maybe I get, you know, a group of kids that are taking the health class that semester. And so I like I'm like, hey, not not all your classmates are here hearing this. 
you need to go talk to them about it. And the holy grail in this in this battle mm -hmm. is when the young people start talking to their peers about yes. this issue. I, I will I will say part of the reason I'm doing this is because I think they need to hear it. If they're going to hear it from an adult, I think they need to hear it from someone like me, who yes. who it's personal to and has who's experienced it. And I tell them run right up front. I mean, one of the things, one of the first things I say to them is, I'm not a doctor, I'm not a mental health professional, I'm not a member of law enforcement. My only qualification for for being here talking to you today is I'm a dad who lost mm -hmm. his son to this epidemic. And when I say that, the room gets really quiet, phones get put down, and they really start to pay attention. And without exception, these young people are incredibly respectful. They're incredibly engaged. I always have a, a group of them come up to me after the presentation and either thank me or ask me questions. And God, they ask great questions. They're, they're just, they're, some of them are so engaged. As, as hard as this has been on me and my family, I tell them, I tell them this and I tell the adults I talk to about this, like I'm optimistic. This, this is the right generation of young people to solve this problem because they do, they are engaged. They do care about their friends. And I, I've got some amazing stories of young people sort of picking up the mantle and, and doing things. And it, it, that's, that's actually when I do get choked up when I, when I start talking about these young people that are, that are, that are they're helping advocates, spread awareness. You know? Yeah, they, they are advocates. I remember at University of Tampa, there were two girls that invented, uh, it's a hair scrunchie, but it, you, the, you take it to the bar and you open it up and you put it over your glass to prevent yep. and yep. they won an award and everything. And I thought that conversation wouldn't have happened years ago. Right. Watch your, watch your drink. Don't go to the bathroom with your drink. Right. So when they do know of something and, and this problem at this level, there will be someone out there that will find a way to aid in discovering if it's a fake pill or don't take it, or I, I don't have the answer to that, but yeah. someone's thinking of it that's younger yes. than us that, you yes. know, I think will definitely come up with something. Yeah. And so, so right now what we have is awareness that that's, that's yeah. the way we beat this epidemic is just letting yes. people know about it. And when I talk to the kids, I, I tell them, you know, I tell them up front again, I, I'm not, I'm not here to preach to you about the evils of drugs and alcohol. I'm not yep. qualified to do that. That's not what I'm interested in doing. I'm just here to give you information. And that's the other thing that resonates with them is they don't, they don't want to hear some old guy sort of preach at them. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I say like, look, they're, you're being lied to. You're being deceived by these yes. drug dealers. They're lying yeah. to you. You think you're buying a Xanax. You're yes. not buying a Xanax. I promise you it's not a Xanax. The Drug Enforcement and, and Agency seized something like 20 plus million pills. I was going to bring in them up. In 2022, all of them were fake. Yes. And six out of 10 had, six out of 10, 60% had a lethal, what's considered a lethal dose of fentanyl in them. It's unbelievable. Yes. And and that's where, so law enforcement, if we can touch upon that too, it it's it, it awareness is going to be the only thing that's going to help prevent it because it is such a bigger issue to be able to stop this. To me, this is a form of murder just because they're intentionally putting oh, it's it in not there. A, Leanne, it's not a form of murder. It's flat out murder. They are There's, murdering they, people. Yes. Yeah. It's murder. And so, you know, when law enforcement knows 
then there's also that it's bigger than them too, you know? So how do you go get the local groups that also were working with the Mexican? And so it just gets very, very complicated. And I don't want to take away from your mission, but it is a big, big problem. Yeah, it's, and and I get asked about, I get asked about that a lot. I've been asked Mm -hmm. about that in in media appearances I've made. Mm -hmm. And this is, this is sort of my reaction to that. So I, I, I'm a lawyer by background, but in my undergrad, I was an economics major. And so one of the things I, I view the world through sort of supply and demand. And so on the supply side, there's all those issues about where is this coming from, Mexican drug cartels, and how do we stop the flow of it and all of that. That's all important. But as you said, it's incredibly complicated. I've decided that my highest and best use is to focus on the demand side. Yes. Um, because here's the one thing I know with 100% certainty. If we stop buying it, they'll stop making it. The drug dealers make bizarre amounts of money selling these pills. Yeah. And so so that's been sort of my focus is just, we just need to let kids know about this so they can they can just make better decisions. Because again, we're we're in a world right now where they just they just don't they don't think about taking a pill the same way that they might think about shooting up heroin. And and honestly, yeah. it's probably more deadly today to to take the pill than it is to shoot up heroin. As scary as heroin is, fentanyl is oh, about 50 for sure. times more potent than heroin. Well, you you do often in your written articles or on LinkedIn use that hashtag, one pill can kill. And I think that's yeah. important. I do want to, although it's a bigger picture, but I want to also have other resources and things that are happening outside of just what you're doing so people know that there's a broader aspect of it. Like you said, you've joined a a club you didn't want to be a part of, but you've met some wonderful people. And there's that song for Charlie that you introduced me to. And one of the things that I was asked is like, wow, I wonder if universities can start getting more involved and have like Narcon kits or things like that just to have a, a knowledge or something that would help help students if they're if they're in that situation with their roommate. Yeah. And I I know that's not what we want to get into too much, but those those type of active programs are starting to become the norm as well. I think it was University of Wisconsin or, or Yeah, I I think um, there's there's a family that we've gotten to know up in the Madison, Wisconsin area that um, yeah. their, their son was a was a student at the University of Wisconsin Milwaukee and you know took a pill and and it was a yeah. fake made with fentanyl and he passed away and, mm-hmm. and one of the things that they've really pushed for is for all of the dorms in the University of Wisconsin system to have boxes on the wall that have Narcan in them and for mm-hmm. those folks that are listening that don't know what Narcan is Narcan it's actually a brand name. The, the, the drug name is naloxone. Mm-hmm. And it's a drug um, that's typically administered as a nasal spray, but it counteracts the effects of opioids. And so fentanyl is an opioid, just like heroin's an opioid and morphine is an opioid. Narcan, you know, if, if you have any reason to believe that a, that anyone, young person or anyone is, is, is suffering from an opioid overdose, mm-hmm. if you administer Narcan, it'll counteract the effects of that, at least for a time, a, a long enough time that you can get, you know, an ambulance there and you can get them, you know, the appropriate medical treatment. Right. So when I talk to the young people in high schools, I, I 
I bring Narcan with me. I've got it in my backpack. I always yeah. have it with me. I, when I talk to parents, I tell them you should have this in your home. You know, moms, you should have Narcan in your purse. I hope it's the worst 40 or $50 you've ever spent in your life because you'll never, ever have to use it. That's my hope. But my gosh, if, if you ever, if you ever are faced with a situation where someone is potentially dying because of an opioid overdose, having that there will save their life. It will absolutely save their life. One of the positive things that's happened in the last nine months-ish is that the FDA has approved Narcan for commercial sale. It used to be the case that you had to have it prescribed for you. Now right. you can actually go into a CVS or a Walgreens and buy it off the shelf. So that's a, a good step forward. But hopefully we'll be in a day where Narcan is available in public buildings and schools in the same way that defibrillators are today or right. that an ex a fire extinguisher is today, because that's, that's how big an epidemic this is. There are tens of thousands of young people dying because of this. When you're talking 300% increase, that's just, it's, yeah. that's, that's ridiculous. It's, it's bizarre. So I want to close with, and we'll do it on a, on a, on a positive note, but this doesn't just affect you and your wife. You have two other sons right now and the whole dynamic changes. And I love the story of how they went to see him at school, because I think it's also a message of when something's thinking life's too short or we haven't, you know, let's, yeah. let's reach out, you know, your, your siblings, they're there, you love them, you fight with them. They're, they're just part of the taken for granted family dynamics. Yeah. And yeah. when that's gone, you have a beautiful story because you, you do forget the, the kids, you forget yeah. how, how they're affected. So that, that is one thing, um, particularly when I'm talking to parents or adults, you know, I, I mean, obviously this was devastating for my wife and I, but, but, when a young person dies like this, there's there's mm -hmm. this there's this incredible ripple effect that it has on a whole community of people. Right. Obviously, they're siblings. I mean, my my two boys, my oldest son literally collapsed to the floor when he got to our house and we told him what had happened to Peter. They, they're they're both you know they they missed their brother. They just missed right. their brother. But all these friends that he had, I mean, they're all they're all suffering. His roommate, hmm. who's his Who best was friend in college, to had him. to walk yeah. in and find his best friend laying on his bed. I mean, his, his life will never be the same. Right. And so it, it really is, it is devastating, but yeah, I, I did mention to you that one of the, one of the blessings was, um, a couple of months before Peter passed his two older brothers and his two older brothers, there's like a three-year gap between my middle son and Peter, our youngest son, and only about a year gap between our two older boys. So they tended to be, you know, they tended to run with each other a little bit more. And Peter was always the one who was younger. And, you know, he, the, the, the benefit of that for Peter was he got very, he got very good at sort of in entertaining himself and it made yeah. him a more interesting, creative person, honestly. Mm -hmm. But they realized that they really hadn't visited their, their younger brother in college, he had visited them several times. They were both college athletes. And so we'd go to games and Peter would come and bring friends. And it was a great time. But they kind of, at one point, I, I don't know which one of them, but one of the two of them said like, you know, we've never really gone to Indiana and hung out with Pete. And so they decided that they would do that. And they planned a weekend and, and let Pete know. And they went down and visited him and hung out with his buddies and did, you know, what college kids did do. And um, they sort of relived their recent college exploits. Yeah. You know, at the time, my wife and I were really thrilled about it. You know, obviously, given what happened to Peter, you know, just a, a month or two later, I know, I know that that 
that means a lot to them, to my two older yes. boys that they, that they did that and they got to spend that, that time with Peter uh, before losing him. But, but to the point you made when you were sort of introducing this, you know, we just, we can't, if you haven't reached out to a friend or, or a relative, you, you, you gotta do it. You, you can't let it wait no. because no. we never know what's going to happen. And my, my, my two older boys didn't know that, you know, that wasn't the last time they saw him, but that was the last time that the three of them got to spend really quality, fun bonding time together. And yeah. it's just in, incredibly, incredibly, it means a lot to them. It, it really means a lot to them that they did that. I wanted to highlight them because it is a, yeah. it's a whole family family yeah. issue. And then to also close on a happy note, you had the presence of his friends yeah. at the at the lake. So yeah, his high school and college friends. And again, this is one of the reasons I'm optimistic. His his high school and college friends have been absolutely amazing. I mean they they send my wife flowers on on Mother's Day. They 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 reach out with emails and texts on Peter's birthday. There's a tree that was planted in a park in Peter's name, and we'll go by there every now and then, and they will have been there and they decorated the tree. They take pictures there on Christmas Day. But for the last couple of summers, we we've invited them all to come um, to our lake house and and have kind of what we call now Peter's weekend and God bless them all. They just, they, they, they keep showing up and it's just a great time to keep in, keep in touch with them. We've told them like Peter loved all of you. And so like it or not, you're part of our family now. And so you're, you're stuck with us. Yes. And uh, we, we, we really have had some, some great times and it's a time to think about Peter. And really the thing that that's amazing about it is the time to just, tell, tell fun stories about Peter and, and, and yeah. the great times, you know, so that we're, we're, we're working to get to that point where the memory of Peter can be happy and positive and not always, you know, just the grief and the heartache of, of having lost him. Um, we still got a ways to go, but, but, but that helps us with that. I, I'm amazed at what you've done and I am so grateful that you have shared Peter with me. I have Thank been you. so fortunate to have this connection and I'm grateful to Nancy for connecting us. Cause like I said, this is really a dedication as well to friends and family that I've had who have lost their child and the story gets a little tainted because there's not enough information on why they passed and it wasn't intentional. And there's that whole, yeah. you know, some people struggle with, with that of like, just not knowing how to explain the whole tainted pill yeah. issue. Yeah. So I think you've done a great job of bringing that to light. Well, thank you for, for helping me spread the word. I just thought the timing was appropriate too, because yeah. it's, no, you're it's right. something that you can't shy away from. So while we're all stuck with each other in the house over the holidays, this needs to be talked about, right? And, and, and if you'll indulge me for just one more second. Yes, please. Um, I, I If anyone who's listening to this or watching it would like to learn more about it, please, there's an organization that you mentioned earlier. It's called Song for Charlie. Mm -hmm. It was started by an amazing family that who lost their son, Charlie, about a year before we lost Peter. They started this organization. They're, if not the, they're one of the leading advocates for spreading awareness about this. They have an amazing website. Amazing. They just put out a video recently. Actually, they, they were just, they were literally on Nightline in Good Morning America yesterday. Oh. The parents, Ed and Mary. And, but, but go to this website. There, there's a video that I think is called The New Drug Talk. And, and if you're a parent or a mm. grandparent or an aunt or an uncle, and you, you want some some help or guidance on how to have this conversation with a young person, that's where you can find it. Um, the, the website is www 
www.songforcharlie.org. And it's it's an amazing organization and they've been incredibly supportive of me. And as you can tell, I'm, I'm obviously a huge fan of theirs. So. Oh, uh, you directed me to it and it was amazing what they've been able to put together. And yeah. it is a new conversation. And It's a, diff- um, it's a so- different world that these young people are living in. And so you have to talk to them about it differently. Mm-hmm. Is there anything that we haven't touched upon that you, you want to make sure that, that we've mentioned, I, I value your time. So I don't, I could talk to you about this, this all yeah. night. But, no, um, I, I think we've hit on the important stuff. I, I guess I would say I, I, I make this offer and I never know how it's going to be received. I I've committed to sort of talking to anybody anywhere, anytime about this issue. So I didn't want to overbook you, but <laughs> yeah, no, I know. Um, I, I, uh, I mean, right now I'm, I'm sort of focused on the, the, the schools in the Chicago suburban area. Yeah, um, but we have I a talked, lot of, you but, know, but, we can but keep I, expanding. I, I was invited to speak at a, at a high school in Milwaukee, Wisconsin last spring, and I'm going back again this, this spring. And, you know, if, if, if there are folks out there that want to have me on a, a webcast or a Zoom call, I'd be happy to do it. Thank you. I always get, I get asked by the people at the school, like what I charge, what my fee is for this. And and, and I just sort of smile and say, uh, that's, I'm, I'm not doing this to make money. I'm doing this because Peter would want me to, and um, I want to make Peter proud. And so if anybody's interested, feel free to reach out. I would love that, Dean. You have a, a well-oiled presentation that is some staggering statistics and you have a way of doing it from a personal experience that's engaging. And I mean, we, you know, I was going to throw in the story about the young girl that, that um, did yeah. the project, which is a little lengthy, but yeah. you've had some great people, like you said, come yeah. up to you afterwards yes. and want to create change and impact. Yes. So that's the trickle effect that you have. And uh, that's the way Peter's message is going to keep growing and he will be around forever through that messaging. So I do, I will make sure I, I let people know that you are available because it's a wonderful discussion to the people that need to hear it. Absolutely. So Leanne, thank um, I you know so much. the holidays are different. Yep. You do have some good things happening. You will have a wedding soon. And so you're getting past some of these things where you're, you're seeing some moments that you're going to be celebrating together as a family. So yeah. I wish you all a wonderful uh, Christmas and Thank new you. year. You as well. And it, for me, it's been a pleasure to get to know you and you're just an amazing human. So, Thank uh, you so much, excellent. Thank you. Thank, Thank you for, you for your, having your me and letting me uh, share Peter's story and, and spread the word. I appreciate it. Thanks. A local teenager dead from a suspected fentanyl overdose. 17-year-old daughter is the latest local high school student to die of an accidental fentanyl dead after taking pills laced with fentanyl. Each week, the equivalent to a classroom of high school students dies of overdose across the country. Today, fentanyl is being used by drug traffickers to produce counterfeit prescription pills. These are completely fake pills. 60% of counterfeit pills that are out there right now contain potentially lethal doses of fentanyl. A lot of young adults in America are getting these pills on social media. Even if it comes from their best friend, it's most likely not safe because the drug supply right now is not safe. None of us asked to have people we love passing away due to a preventable cause, but that is the thing about it is it is entirely preventable. We didn't start this problem but we can be part of the solution.